Welcome to the Good Bad Mad podcast, a show that's here to share the ins and outs of creative careers, connecting the aspirational with the experienced, with your host, me, Meg Ellis. My guests for this episode are husband and wife filmmaking team, White Rockefeller and Julie Fabrizio. We chat through their experiences starting in the industry and developing their first feature film, Settlers. We cover everything from pitch packets and tax incentives to working with VFX and the importance of willing the project into existence. Hope you enjoy it. Hi. Hey. Hi, Julie. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for... um, Agreeing to be a part of the podcast tonight. I'm really excited to hear about settlers and your kind of journeys towards it. Um, what what we do really at the Good Bad Mad is try and delve into the ins and outs of these creative careers. Um, we cover both kind of stage and screen to just give that little bit of insight into what it's like, which they don't cover at drama school or film school or <laughs> whatever it is, because. Yeah. Sometimes it can be very, very tricky and there's a bit of cloak and daggers going on in the industry. So we're all about transparency. We can definitely uh, relate and open up. Yeah. No, exactly. Uh, I mean, this Saturday is, is your debut feature, isn't it? So, so you guys are kind of, I guess, at the... I'm going to, not the starting point, but kind of the lifting point, I'm going to say, um, on, on your journey to, to a full career in, in, in screen, which is super exciting. Your film's been out for, what, two weeks now? Yeah, two, two weeks um, in, the in the US and, and about a week in the UK. And uh, How's and that been? Nerve-wracking, I suspect. It has been, yeah. We... Um, we uh, it's been a roller coaster. I mean, throughout the process, and mm-hmm. and uh, but it's nice to kind of, I think have have it in the rear view beer, view mirror a bit, uh, and allows us to focus yeah, in on what comes next. Now move on. Uh, there's always that, even though we've been finished with the film for a while. Um, now that it's out there, it's like okay, you know, we can really focus full steam ahead on the next one, which is in some ways very liberating. Yeah. Um, I would say three or four weeks ago, it didn't feel as liberating. It was a bit like, ah, um, but now that it's out there, it's it's been kind of like a weight um, off in, in some ways. There's no stopping with these things, is there? It's straight on to the next one. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm assuming you filmed before the whole coronavirus issue. We did, we, we shot in fall of 2019. Uh, and had actually locked picture right in March of 2020 when COVID descended. And so we had an extended post-production, which very frankly probably benefited the, the film. You know, it just gave us the opportunity to really tweak things. Uh, and so even though it, it meant the movie came out about a year after it, it hmm. likely would have, it, it, it's probably a, a better movie as a result. Is, I, I was hoping you would say you had actually filmed it during isolation because it would have been the perfect storyline to fit it, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we actually, er, I mean, early on, as while I was writing it, you know, thinking about what, okay, what went wrong on earth? What was it that chased them away? And, uh, you know, one of the options was a pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, and ended up going with something more straightforward that, didn't feel at least so fanciful at the time yeah. uh but here we are here we are <laughs> indeed <laughs> should we should we start with you then Wyatt and and your your journey into film because I hear it's been I mean you you ventured into like you were best friends with Obama for a little <laughs> bit and <laughs> stuff like that how, how did you kind of decide that film was the thing for you yeah well so I I uh have wanted to make movies since I was 11. That's, I, I took an AV class on a whim, you know, an audiovisual class on, on a whim that my school offered. And, and then the first, the first class, the teacher said, okay, everyone come up with an idea for a short film and, and then we'll vote on the ideas and whoever wins, we'll make that one and you get to be the director. And mine won. And, and 
I, it was just so fun. You know, we would shoot, I think one period a week, you know, sort of like 40 minutes a week with, like, you know, we had a camera and a tripod and maybe a light. I'm not even sure if we had a light and, uh, and I made a monster movie called the pest, uh, and it attacked my English teacher in the hallway. And, uh, but I was, I was hooked. I, I loved it and, and spent, you know, the next few years just making things on the weekends with friends or, you know, with my dad's camcorder and, uh, Star Wars figurines and, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, and, uh, and it was only, I mean, it was, at, I went through college thinking this is what I wanted to do, uh, and drove to LA after I graduated to, to take a job with a production company but then yeah got pulled away by the obama campaign where i mean i wish i you call it his best friend i mean i wish wish i was my his best friend i i uh, was like one of the lowly foot soldiers in his campaign that was sent around the country and uh but that was an amazing experience and that did take me in a different direction for a while mm -hmm. but ultimately you know i was lying awake at night thinking about the stories i wanted to tell and mm -hmm. you know i couldn't sleep until i got up and wrote down a you know, piece of dialogue in my head and you just realize look this is this is what you'll work hardest at because you know this is what you care most about and so what are, this you'll be best at this and so you just have to have to do it and so i applied to uh film school uh for grad school basically and and um, never Which looked one back did you go to uh i did uh well i did uh tish so i at, mm -hmm. at nyu but i also did uh so nyu offers this I think unique program uh, between their business school and their film schools. When the same, the three-year period that you would get your MFA in film, you can also pursue an MBA. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a handful of us. There's a handful each year that that do that. Uh, and I think, I mean, for me, I think having I, I wanted to have a sense of both sides of the equation, right? Both both the creative side and also the business side. So that, and I think, you know, from, from an independent film perspective, I just figured this, having an acumen, having an understanding of how this works and, and being able to at least talk a good game in, uh, you know, and, and with the sort of the jargon, being able to make people feel like, hey, maybe this is not as risky a venture as it actually yeah. is, will give me more independence as a filmmaker and, 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 you know, help to get those first projects off the ground. No, that's brilliant. It sounds rare as a program. I mean, that's part of why we do what we do here at The Good Bad Man is to give that kind of logical side to, to the creative business. You can focus so hard on the passions and the creativity that when it comes time to actually do a, make a career in it, you're just sometimes a bit lost. You don't, oh, how do I do a tax return being self-employed and no one tells you? <laughs> so no, yeah. that sounds like a brilliant program. And you were there for three years. Yeah. And, and I would say, I mean, all of us, I think our, our specializations in the finance program, and I'm certainly not saying one needs to go to business school in order to, you know, to, to make it as a creative in the film industry, but, uh, but we all ended up focusing in on finance, just like hard old fashioned finance, because mm -hmm. that was actually the most sort of practical and, and just like the sort of hard science of, of business. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, having an understanding yeah, of, of accounting, of basic finance will go a long way uh, in helping you be independent as, yeah. as a creative. And I, I mean, 100% as a producer, Julie, I mean, I hear yeah. your background is in finance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I worked in finance for um, eight or nine years and it wasn't, um, I mean, I actually liked parts of it, but it was also just a means to live and um, be able to afford to live in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a, I had an internship from university and, and then kind of went into the system. And then it was like, oh, seven, oh, eight, um, not the best time to be searching for a new job. So I just kept my head down. Um, but I actually had applied to go to business school, which is what brought us to the UK, mm -hmm. um, because I thought I wanted to go into hospitality, which was always something that I was interested in. And why, and I happened to be married, mm -hmm. um, and he was writing the script for Settlers when I was doing my MBA. And we were on our honeymoon, and I had a job opportunity back in New York, and we had a very frank uh, talk. And I realized like what I liked about hospitality and especially what I was drawn to was were hotels. Mm -hmm. um, 
was like creating a world and an experience for someone that is different and unique and allows them to kind of have just a unique perspective into someone else's life, even if for a short amount of time. And with film, I think it actually, with, through stories, you can also provide that. Yeah, and, it's some kind of escapism. Yeah, and so I was really intrigued with um, like the idea of creating this world and how one does that. And I would say film is just a lot more tangible um, than you know interest rate derivatives, which is what I was doing before. And this I won't even was, pretend to know what that is. No, well, yeah, but but it was it having that background was very uh, helpful because it allowed me to at least like there were certain things that I knew a lot about that have to do with film in some ways, especially with film financing, mm -hmm. um, that I could add value right away. And then the other things, especially the jargon around film, uh, I was able to learn just by being on set or being in the room with people, but I, I didn't have that background at all. So I kind of focused on the stuff that I did know and the stuff that I did feel confidence, uh, confident in. Well, it kind of goes back to the idea experience. of fake it till you make it, isn't yeah. it? Like you rely on what you do know and hopefully someone else on your team fills that other kind of- Fortunately, yes, <laughs> other people on the team did know, um, which was hugely helpful, but I'm I'm hooked. Yeah, I, I really, um, I mean, there are ups and downs, but it's, you have this finished product that you can actually like see how all the different pieces that you worked on come to create this. Yeah, um, something tangible. Yeah, so it, it, that that part was um, wonderful. And it also allows us to work together. We're very different people. Mm -hmm. uh, like why it is definitely, I could never fathom like having to write a script or mm -hmm. come up with something out of, out of thin air. Um, and I would say that, you know, I, on the other hand, can execute and get things done and multitask. So yeah. it's nice because we can um, work side by side, but we're doing totally different things. Yeah. And that part, uh, I think we complement each other in that regard. I, I think a good example actually is when we were writing our, our business plan for our for our, our production company, we, um, you know, in the time it would take me to struggle through a paragraph, Julie would have created about five pages of content uh, mm -hmm. with charts and graphs and, and, and you know, many paragraphs. And, uh, and what I realized what I could do was then take that and, and, and shape it into a, more of a narrative and, and an argument. And, and there was a point where we looked at each other, we're like, hey, this actually, like, we may very well complement each other pretty well. So, so yeah, so far, so good. It's a good thing you're married then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so was, was Settlers the first project that you worked on cohesively together, or did you do a short before that? So actually, when, when we, we had just started dating, and I was still in film school at this point, uh, I was on one of the shorts that I made, Julie came and helped for a day or two. Yeah. And um, you, she's actually, she, her hands are in the movie. She had to uh, carry away. Takes. You had to clear food from the table. I uh, was like, really? <laughs> it was leftover food that had been sitting there that had like flies in it. And then I had to like swat them away. And then, you know, there I was doing my like 15th take. Um, I don't usually do that many takes. It was a very complex. No, I know it was very. Move. He was just trying to keep you there for longer. We That's what was going on. Light. So there was only about the focal length was only about four inches, and and uh, uh, the yeah the depth of field, and um, and so yeah we just didn't quite get it right. Uh, so it took a while, but you kind of you were like you were like wow I, I kind of admire the fact that you were you kept going. Yeah, and I also I did <laughs> I did I think have a newfound respect for. Um, actors and all the people that are involved you know on set to mm -hmm. make it happen like it's a lot of it is repetition and yeah. you're just like repeating the same thing over and over again and yet they have to deliver performances time, so yeah. it's like you know the first time and it has to be convincing enough and it's so I find that incredibly impressive um I didn't realize you know how much work went into the things mm -hmm. that we get to like love and appreciate on screen it definitely sounds like you got the bug there. Is is yeah. like when when you see the inner workings of something for the first time, you're like, oh, I just need to need know more. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um 
it's a lot more complicated, I think, than most audiences realize. Yeah. So, so you made this short um, whilst you're at school, and then after you graduated, was it kind of straight on to working on Sacklers? So I I was actually writing something else for well, it ended up being a while, uh, and that metastasized into something much bigger uh, than I was really going to be able to accomplish yeah. you know, in any reasonable amount of time at this point in my career. So um, after actually it was a, a few years of working on it, I shelved it and sat down to write something that was more contained. That was really one location, just a mm -hmm. few years. Uh, and that was settlers. The, the, the problem is that I then set it on, on Mars and, and, uh, uh, there were definitely moments on set where I was just like, what am I doing? Why, you know, why did I have to go set my first feature on, on another it was planet? Usually actually at <laughs> night, uh, when we're trying to fall asleep, when we had our four month old baby in the room at the foot of the bed and he would just start going like, why is she wearing a yellow t-shirt on Mars? Like, what have I, you know, and he was just, I was like, you're going to wake up our son. Like, this is not the time to be like, she's already done the, like the whole first part of the scene in that yellow t-shirt. We cannot change that right nope. now, you know, and it's just. Julia was dealing with two babies. Yeah, <laughs> It is. It's like, I mean, it's also the baby of the production, isn't it? You can't stop thinking about it um, yeah. whilst, whilst it's going on. But I mean, like it sounds like you kind of thought about it very logically going into the development of the script. You're like, okay, this is basically a one-one drama. Um, it's got what five, six actors, something like that. Five actors. Five actors. Yeah. So like you are kind of thinking with that financial head as you go into writing the script, and then yes, Mars. <laughs> we'll come to that but ultimately it is kind of like a, a one location drama but that was also financially like I mean a lot of people are like oh this could have been a drama you know set anywhere and, and that's that's true to some extent but like <laughs> there is a fan base for sci-fis and that is something that as we were raising the financing we could you know point to that and yeah. it, that's it's just easier to sell, to sell. Um, genre films are easier to sell and mm. are more commercial and so that was something that you know we did have to think about because yeah. you have to get this you have to get these movies made we're first timers so yeah you know, like we had, had you considered any other locations other than Mars when you were writing it no I mean I, that that was true but I also think that was that was as we were assessing it as a project mm thought, okay, well, that that is helpful. I, I mean, the reason I decided, it wasn't until I actually had the idea to set it on this partially terraformed Mars mm -hmm. that I decided to actually pursue it as a project. I had the plot uh, and and I filed it away as this, wow, that's kind of a dark <laughs> idea. And, uh, but the thought that the setting was actually the thing that unlocked all these, visual and thematic opportunities that mm. really made it seem like okay this is actually this could be something different this could be something worth watching and something that's yeah. worth you know a few years of our lives yeah. we did change the setting slightly so um initially it was set on an abandoned wellness retreat so the idea was on mars, was on mars yeah. um okay. but that it was kind of for you know Mars in its heyday, this was mm -hmm. somewhere where people could go. Um, and that's why it was so far away and so isolated. And then just looking at kind of budget and what we could feasibly do mm -hmm. to kind of sell it as an abandoned wellness retreat, it just became too complicated and too mm -hmm. expensive. Um, and so then the idea came, okay, like what if this is um, this homesteading operation that people get a package to kind of do their own pop-up um farm and so that's why like steve and the homestead and the tunnel um they're all kind of they have branding and they have their own kind of similar aesthetic and look mm. um and then the interiors some things some of their outfits have the same branding and those were given to them as part of the homesteading package mm -hmm. whereas other things they could have brought with them from earth yeah um so this is i mean it it's not the most far-fetched idea really is it like you can kind of with 
I mean, the main things that you kind of touched on in like colonizing and, and ecological issues and stuff like that, you can see this kind of logical pathway towards what you've created. Well, that's that's what we were banking on was, mm. I mean, as I said earlier, like, as I was thinking, like, do I need to concoct this zombie apocalypse or mm. pandemic? You know, it, no, we can actually just extrapolate out from where we are now and yeah. people really will fill in fill in the gaps and, and understand the situation they're in, not, not, and not just from where we are now to the future, but also drawing on past colonial experiences yeah. uh, in, you know, in the United States where we're both from and, and elsewhere. Uh, and jumping around a little bit, but I will also say back to your question about like what sitting down and thinking like, you know, how, how are we gonna make something feasible? I think the other thing that really appealed to us about this project was, uh, that each role was meaty. You mm -hmm. know, there's only five parts, uh, but each one, you know, there's a lot going on. There, you know, there's there's conflict within within them, and and so we were able to therefore punch above our weight. You know, these, with with casting, we really felt yeah. like these are going to be appealing to to actors. Did you have agents at this point? Uh, no, we basically once once the script was ready to share at this point it really is just julie and i she knows she, mm -hmm. we just started sending it to everyone we knew we were a little bit like we did send it to the blacklist first um and had people review it who were didn't know us at all and they gave it high scores mm -hmm. um okay. so that i think gave us the confidence to be like okay like we're not just biased yeah. um like this feels like maybe it is ready to send around to people. And so then we did send it to people. Wyatt sent it to people from film school. We sent it to like certain friends who are interested in reading it. And I'll let you take it. Yeah, well, I mean, basically anyone knew in their mother, you know, yeah. contacts that I had from, from past work that I'd, I'd done. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and it was actually, I think it was through a brother of a friend who, you know, who works in the industry and he was the first one to read it. Yeah. I actually read it or at least get back to us and, and say, Hey, this is actually pretty good. Like, can I share it around with, with some other contacts? And of course, you know, and one night I got a call out of the blue from an agent at UTA. Mm -hmm. uh, actually he was a junior, junior agent at that time and, and mm -hmm. was, you know, really hungry and has since worked his way up. And, yeah. um, but he was just like, I really like your script. Uh, let's let, let's do this who are you imagining uh and at that point we're we were like wouldn't it be great to find uh a young girl a young actress like brooklyn prince mm -hmm. <laughs> from the florida project yeah. and just so happened that uh they represent her and so they right. under the script and she and her parents responded to it and attached right mm -hmm. right away that was actually quite quick and uh, and and so that next step happened remarkably quickly. I mean, it was one of those kind of dream come true moments where suddenly we were attaching, you know, actors who were way beyond what we expected to be mm. able to do. And that allowed us to also start to dream a little bit bigger in terms of the scale of the film, because that that, you know, brought financing and because uh, UTA, they do like this packaging deal, don't they? Was that kind of what you, you yes. guys were involved in? Yeah. Okay. So when you were shipping it out, were you literally just sending the script as is, or were you um, sending out like a little pitch packet with it? What, what we put together it? a pitch deck, and that's another thing that we were doing um, while this was going on. We were like, okay, so what are the things that we can control? Like, what can we move forward? And location was very important to us, and um, just given like all of what you're seeing for the most part, there's like a little bit of VFX, but the setting in the film is as is. Mm -hmm. um, like those are the, that's what you're seeing out the window uh, is what we were seeing on set. And so we were scouting and we found, we were deciding between Morocco and South Africa because they both have great tax incentives and they have co-production treaties with the UK. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the other producers who we brought on, who is for Josh, we had first gone to him also through a friend um, to kind of get advice on tax rebate stuff. And he read the script and really liked it and was like, can I, you know, get involved? And he had just done two films in South Africa right. with our other producer, Johan Kruger, um, where they were successfully 
able to get back the tax rebates from both the UK and South Africa. Mm. And so that was a very big part of our budget. It's roughly 40% of spend um, in South Africa that you get back and 25% in the UK. Uh, so that's obviously yeah, huge. It's astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. And so we um we went back to South Africa and and scouted there and we we were there before, but then we went back. You went back to, as we're deciding between like this incredible location in Morocco and then this place in South Africa. And um that was something that like in our pitch book we could show photos of that. We could really like right. kind of show that world. Although that was that, that was, was later. a little later. I mean, but I that think... was the second part was later, but at least like in our pitch deck, we had these incredible photos of Morocco and or South Africa. Right. And similarly, also through a friend, we found Noam Piper, um, who's the production designer, and he started doing sketches of the homestead, which we included, and sketches of Steve, um, the robot in the film. Yeah. And so we were able to kind of visually show um, the story mm -hmm. with things that were true to the story as well as why it did his synopsis with different screen grabs of film, other films where he kind of yeah. was imagining the color or, you know, the camera um, setup of that shot. And so, yeah, we had this pitch deck to accompany the, the script where people could get a visual right away of, mm. you know, what we were going for. Yeah. I mean, I guess we were continually updating it because what we were trying to do was basically you know, convey a vision for this with yeah. what we, with what we had. And so, and, you know, at almost no cost, you know, like bringing on a casting director who all she was doing was really attaching and bringing on a production designer was just attached. You know, there was, there was no money exchange at that point. Yeah. It was, it was just people who liked the idea. And if it ever got off the ground, you know, they, they might stay involved. And, it's and, like a promise, isn't it? Saying someone's attached. Yeah. Like, yes, we will be involved if this, if this happens. Yes, yeah. and, yeah. exactly. And, but, you know, that was, I think all those little steps were helpful in just sh demonstrating momentum, you know, showing that, you know, this, this project is moving forward. There are people who are, you know, t taking this seriously and uh, want to work with us. And, uh, and then I think, with the deck as Julie alluded to, like, I think I had a long version where I told the story, you know, I basically found images to tell the entire story from other films, you know, just mm -hmm. kind of beat by beat to really try to convey the sense of like, here's how the story is going to look and feel. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, yeah, as we had more material, you know, as things went along and we had more to act, more real things to show, we would start to swap swap them and, and were you going to other kind of science fiction films like the martian star wars that kind of thing to kind of pull in for the that? for the deck not so much i mean i was really just scouring the internet for for images that would convey mm -hmm. the specific moment and so that really could come from from anywhere and yeah. because it is ultimately such a small story you know and it is a chamber piece as you say you know it mm -hmm. it wasn't you know i didn't need to mind the you know the, the big the, yeah, the epics. You could, you it was if, the kind of... actually it was funny that it was just like these little these much smaller movies i think there was a, something from like a quiet place which i guess would probably be the biggest film <laughs> but again it's like set on a farm you know so yeah yeah you can definitely see those influences throughout it and so you're you're packaging it all together it comes together and like i say you hit on a key word there momentum i think it, it it's important to get this kind of what I call a sheep mentality associated with these things. It's like if one goes, other people start joining and joining and joining and joining until you suddenly have this momentum and energy around the project. And ultimately, I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what you need in order to get people to sign off on it. Yeah, that's that's what Julie meant when she said, you know, let's focus on what we can control mm. at any given moment. It's like, let's create our own momentum because the only way this is going to go forward is because we've, we've willed this into existence and uh, it, these things rise and fall in the perception of momentum or lack thereof. Yeah, and I think similar, like, you know, having Brooklyn attached gave it legitimacy and then financiers and other people just started paying attention and that like having an idea too of who the characters were like Wyatt when he was speaking with the different actors because we we just went out with offers like we we were pitching above our weight here and so I think that was very helpful um with getting the actors attached like they knew that 
even though he was a first time director, like he had a very clear vision of who his mm -hmm. characters were and their, their backstories, even if they're not fully ex explained, like he knew them and he could really describe them and their motivations, mm -hmm. um, which I think was very helpful with getting people on board along with knowing that they're playing opposite another talented actor. Yeah. Um, and was so, there a moment where you were kind of, someone wasn't quite attached yet, but you were kind of hoping that they were going to be, so you had to like play that off each other. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, a few times actually. Yeah. Um, there was once, I won't, I won't mention names here, but yeah. I, um, uh, I basically, I met with this actress and if, if she was going to attach, that would have, that was the thing that was going to kind of make, make it all go. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and, uh, we met and we, we'd been texting before and to, you know, just logistically to meet up. And then afterwards I, uh, you know, we had a nice meeting uh, uh, and I texted just saying, really nice to meet you. You know, it'd be great to work together. And, and she didn't respond. I think that was like a Thursday and she didn't respond for the entire weekend. Oh goodness. And I, I was just like this, I, I was, I was like a, you know, back in grade school, like this, you know, crush that's mm -hmm. on the <laughs> Uh, and, and I, was poor just, Julie. I was pregnant at the time and I was just like come on we need yeah. to like we, um, yeah I know I'm like like just like dying over this this uh, you know actress who's not responding to me but <laughs> but also too like we visited you know we live in London and, and I think we were visiting a friend in Paris that weekend and I we we arrive and I just go on like a full bender with <laughs> with her <laughs> with her while poor Julie is to, like I'm just like trying to take my mind off of <laughs> off of this and Julie's like, just sitting there sober I think you almost got bangs just yeah I like... almost got a haircut I almost went to go get bangs because I was like I need to get do something do something self-destructive self <laughs> <laughs> like that obviously is not going to hurt you know um the child that I'm carrying right now but that was yeah that it, it definitely I mean I guess any advice and this is will be to remind you know ourselves as we're now going out with our second one but um it's just to like keep going like you just have to kind of will it into existence yeah. um and believe that it can happen because I think as soon as you uh and, and Josh our other producer I have to say like was you know he was he was like prep building like construction of the sets was all happening as we were still, you know, trying to finalize our cast. And that had me so nervous because coming from a finance background, it's like, no, there's systems in place and you have to have everything in place before you yeah. can like do this. And he was like, if we don't do this now, it's going to get pushed till March. So we need to like do this and yeah. it will happen. It will. And he was super positive about it, even though I think he was probably terrified inside, but he never let us see that. And so we were just like very positive then as well. And I am very grateful, you know, for that just because I think as soon as you kind of have doubt um, or really like let yourself sit in that doubt, it, mm -hmm. it really could fall apart. Um, oh, 100%, overthinking is toxic. Yeah. But goodness, so sets are building before everything's kind well, of- I mean, we thought we had people attached, but you know, there, there was, were big movies there coming. Was, and... Yeah, I mean, there was some turn to the cast. Mm -hmm. I think what we what we learned is, you know, when you are punching above your weight, you have no negotiating power. Yep. <laughs> uh, that, that is the other end. And so if larger things come along, uh, you know, people are gonna jump and yeah. as, as they should rightly. And and there's no, there's no hard feelings. I mean, you know, those who, who were previously attached helped us get get it yeah. off the ground, you know, and get us to where we are. And, and also it meant too, that, you know, we were able to actually get the cast that we, that we actually worked with. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I can't imagine anyone else playing those roles yeah. now. And, and I just think everything worked for a reason. You know, I think everyone says that, the, the, but these, these things happen for, for a reason, but yes, it was, you know, it was definitely very stressful because everyone's like, oh, don't worry, the cast will, like, pe people will, will, will find someone, this always happened, just keep going. Yeah. And, you know, I think our, our executive producer, he was like, don't talk to me, like, I've got a, pro like, a production in production, a week into production, we still haven't fully cast this thing. So, so like, um, you know, good luck. Oh. But uh, the, um, uh, it, it's true, I mean, this is very, very common, mm. but yeah, the closer you get, 
to actually shooting, you know, is the, you know the bigger catastrophe it could <laughs> it could be if things don't fall into place. But everyone did say just this always happens. Always, things yeah. will fall into place. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's hard to believe it at the time, but it's true. Like it. But it is. It's or, just, your nerves yeah. are going to be absolutely shattered yeah. by the time you get there. <laughs> yeah 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 once once yeah exactly once we were shooting which was really the i think when we were finally able to mm. breathe for you know for a second yeah uh then things you know then at least all the pieces are there and you yeah know, through johan kruger the other you know the south african producer mm -hmm. was able to meet Vili mel uh he recommended him he's a you know south african cinematographer yeah. and I mean, we hit it off right away and he is just, he's also just such an incredible talent. And again, now it's like, it's hard to imagine working with anyone yeah. else on this. And he brought so much to this project. He did. So. He also was a great presence on set. He's very calming and his team that he works with, like you could just tell that they've done a lot of different movies together before that they have a shorthand. They're incredibly quick. Yeah. Um, we were trying to squeeze a lot in a short amount of time and like, it probably would have been very difficult had he not been there with that relationship with his team. No, hundred percent. I think, I think kind of when it comes down to it, it's all about people, isn't it? It's like, yes, you can have an amazing script, a location, all that, but it's all about the people who know the people who know the people, who know the people. And that's how it kind of comes together at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we really were able to plug into this whole network that Johan had, yeah. uh, and um so, yeah and so we really only brought i think a few people from out of country from outside mm -hmm. south africa oh, amazing so how long were you actually filming for how long was the the production schedule six weeks we did 11 day fortnights so you know five days on six days on five days on six days on five days on six days on Oh my goodness. And and what was it like kind of seeing this this world you had imagined kind of come to life in front of you in, in the middle of South Africa? <laughs> I mean, it, it was wild. We we were contending with um, some pretty extreme circumstances. So first of all, we were shooting about seven hours drive from Cape Town, right on the border with Namibia on the Orange mm -hmm. River. And uh, so it's a very remote spot, which doesn't, you know, it c comes with its challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we were nervous because we had our you know four yes, month old son and you know an hour away from the nearest kind of hospital quote unquote and uh uh or and so we had some concerns we concerns about the heat fortunately like as long as there was ac we yeah. were okay um he was okay uh and he was a trooper he ended up we we gave him a credit you know, he's got a special thanks because he uh he he served as the um, basically the stress baby, like the stress ball on <laughs> on at base camp when people were stressed, they'd come squeeze him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we were dealing with extreme heat, you know, uh, into the into the fifties, well into the fifties Celsius, and, and um, uh, it rained in a place it never rains and almost destroyed the set. There was an all hands on deck moment, and you know, lightning came in. Uh, the sandstorms that we had to deal with that those were more regular and um actually julie's in the movie uh because on one of the, there was this really hot spell where uh our actress nell who plays the older remy uh she had heat stroke uh and then her double had heat stroke uh, and so julie julie was called up uh and she she arrives in in a wig and makeup and yeah and, and then my and, mom had arrived after flying from upstate New York like a 30 hour you know trip with the drive and everything and she's like in her 70s and she to help with our she, son to help with our son and she just sees me and and has doesn't even realize I'm wearing full wig and makeup and I'm like do you see like, like you're so exhausted so you can't even recognize only, you know, that I'm not you know, only are you are you looking after a four month year old child but now you're standing in as a as it's a, yeah, body double up on the hill. Yeah, and so yeah, Julie's yeah. So like in the wide, there's like a super wide shot of Remy sitting on the hill over the looking over the homestead, and that's Julie. Uh, and and then you had to flee to Namibia with your mom and our our, yeah, our son because they're doing load shedding in South Africa, so they were cutting power, but it was over fifty degrees, and he was. I mean, 
like for a baby, it's just mm -hmm. really not safe. And so we went to Namibia who gets its power from South Africa, but they have a deal with them that yeah. even, even when South Africa is doing the load shedding, Namibia isn't. Yeah. So we could at least access air conditioning. Oh my goodness. Um, which was a bit terrifying because the border patrol was like, how many people are in your car? And I was like, one and two. And he was like, why are you counting? Are you trying to be, bring people over? And I was like, no, I'm really stressed. And, and in fact, through there was this kind of three-day stretch where it was just so hot and and was causing all this extreme weather. But morale actually improved on the other end of it because the producers really prioritized everyone's safety, yeah. reworked the schedule uh, to accommodate that. And, uh, and, you know, we just, we got through it together, you know, mm. so, and so we just cohered that much more as a team. And kind of going into this as a, well, you've done your short, but you know, as a first time feature director, how did you prepare? Were you just like overly, overly, overly prepared or what was it like? Uh, yes, that was my strategy. It was okay. I'll compensate for my inexperience by being as prepared as I possibly can be. And frankly, I, I should have prepared more <laughs> somehow. Uh, you got better as the, it went along. Well, yeah, I, I think I just got more experience. I mean, I think, and I think this is true with every shoot. You know, you you were always working out the kinks. It's figuring out you figuring out how to make all the departments run so that no one's waiting for each other you know so you're maximizing your time and i definitely got better at that and like managing blocking and stuff uh as as things went on uh so we were definitely a, a much more efficient machine than we were when we we began uh but i i do think i mean my approach was uh the more prepared i can be the more nimble i can be on set because uh I'll just, I'll really know what this is about. And also not, not only me, but my, my HODs will too, especially the cinematographer and, and, yeah. and the assistant director will really understand, okay, this is what this scene is about. So if we have to change the plan on a dime because we're losing the light or, you know, whatever, or just we decide we, on the day that we want to do it differently, we can operate in a shorthand. We can, and we can pivot quite quickly because mm -hmm. we all know what this is. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it's like, you know, you work your plan, things, things always change, but because you're prepared, you, you are, you are able to be agile. That's really what I think being prepared is all about. And like, it sounds like you had real trust in, in your heads of department and stuff like that to be able to kind of rely on them for, for filling those, um, like lack of knowledge spots. But when, when you were approaching the actors who like, like you've said, have had these huge amazing careers like how did you go about that like was it just okay we'll kind of trust their interpretation and character or was it a big conversation about what's going on in the mind on all of the above <laughs> well I, I think trust is the operative word but I think mm -hmm. it's trust that that it's sort of trust built upon trust so uh you know as I think Julie mentioned earlier you know for the actors to sign on, they really needed to understand that, you know, I as as a first time director really had a vision for this. You know that I I could clearly see how I wanted to accomplish this and how their characters fit into this and their their experiences within this setting. Uh, and I think it was just it was very important that they feel that they could they could trust mm -hmm. me to tell them then you know to have a clear idea of what i wanted mm -hmm. so that i would be able to tell them when things weren't right you know i think quite organically I, I said to each of them during production you know don't worry i will not let you i will not let us move on mm -hmm. until we get we get it right we get your you know your scene mm -hmm. uh and we get it right even if we have to somehow go back to it, if we don't, you know, if we, yeah. if we can't get it because uh, we have to move on. Uh, and that was very, you could see that was just very reassuring mm -hmm. to each of them just to, to trust, okay, I, I can, I trust him mm -hmm. to know how this is all going to fit together, right? Which is my job, mm -hmm. because basically. And then the other part of my job is once I, I've created that environment to get out of their way. 
you know, and to let them make those choices within those parameters. Mm. Uh, and I think that's actually freeing for them when they feel like, okay, I, I understand what I'm working within and I, I trust that. And so I can, I can therefore give myself over to my character and really focus in on that. Yeah. I would say also like, I have not really been on set with another director, so I can't fully um, like do a comparison, but Wyatt is very calm mm -hmm. and very patient. And even if someone else is yelling to like, you know, we got to hurry or we're not going to make this or whatever, like he would never expose that kind of inner fear to the actors. Mm -hmm. um, like I never saw him like then rush them because he was being told to rush. Whereas like mm -hmm. if I were being told to rush, I'd, I would immediately be like, okay, got to rush, but that's why yeah. I'm not a director. Um, <laughs> but it was, you're, he was very, very calm and very patient. Um, which I think is just something that helped them to be able to give those performances because yeah. they didn't feel like they were being um, hurried or being yelled at or being, you know. Yeah, they have time to explore their characters to, yeah. to the that they want to. Do you, do you think it helps in, in this kind of first time director role that you were also the writer? I think yes, in that it was so... You know, we, because we were making something from from scratch with this, you know, we we're in a world that doesn't exist, uh, you know, to be able to answer the, the questions that the actors and others would would have about the backstories of and, and this was actually very true for the art department, actually, too, I just like we had to have a backstory for everything, everything yeah. you see, because things had to make such a long trip just to yeah. arrive at this place that we needed to understand why they were there, what was their function. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, I, that that falls to the writer, and mm -hmm. and there was, a, you know, to a certain extent, some coming up, <laughs> coming up with things on the fly. As you know, Sophia Butella, uh, who played Ilsa, you know, she she has uh, such an exacting mind, and she would often ask me things like, "Why is that over? There? Why is that on set there? You know, in, in the shot?" And I'd I'd have to kind of come up with something on the spot, or realize, "Oh my God, that really should that really should be there." <laughs> then secretly tell the art, you know, the art director to get rid of it. But you know what? That's that's brilliant because someone's just as invested as you are. Yeah. Oh, completely. Like yeah. No. That, absolute critical detail. Well, that's that's when that's actually the thing that makes me the most excited is when you start to see others. You know, the the, the both on the crew side and the cast mm. really take ownership of it. Mm. You know, and and because they're the ones actually making the movie. You know, you're just there to make sure it all is going to cut together. And, yeah, and you know, articulating how this is, you know, how we're all working together. But to, it's just always going to be so much better when you have all these really talented people pouring their respective talents into this rather than just, you know, being dictated to. Yeah, no, 100%. Is, is, I think it comes back to that idea of momentum, isn't it? And is passion in, in the same thing. It gets people excited and and eager to just make something. I think that's kind of why we're all in these careers is because we love that feeling that kind of comes along with it all. Yeah. Yeah, I know when, I completely agree. It's like when you've, there were definitely nights where, we, you know, we shot a particularly, like a, 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 a scene that had just gone really well. And, you know, mm. there'd been a few happy discoveries along, mm. and, uh, or not, it just had just been a great shoot, you know, and, mm. and and those you live for those moments because they're mm. it's just a great feeling to be working alongside all these other people and feel like you're really creating something special together. So so you wrap on set, you get your baby on a plane and back to reliable air conditioning, um, and you're straight in the editing room. And I guess is that where you add Steve into the picture? Well, Steve was actually a mix of puppet and VFX. And um, so, and that was a really rewarding collaboration and, and kind of a childhood dream come true, you know, to, to be able to create this thing from, from scratch. And, you know, my, basically I was like, I, I want, Steve can't talk, he can't even vocalize. That's very important because his, his arc is one where we're wondering, you know, is he capable of human compassion or is he just a tool like Jerry yeah. says? And that is, 
that is that question is crucial not only to his own arc but to the plot and so it was important that he'd be relatively inscrutable and so mm -hmm. i didn't want him to be able to talk or vocalize uh and therefore he had to be able to communicate purely through you know movement uh and then also uh really wanted his form to follow his his function and so we really drilled down between the vfx team the artists the puppeteer the the creature builders really figured out okay this is specifically what he does within the context of this homestead this terraforming operation and what is he going to look like from there and you know so that meant like instead of wheels we changed into legs because if he's going to be walking on what will ultimately be more fertile ground mm -hmm. uh and for for instance and so that was a really fun uh collaboration yeah i bet i mean i'm assuming it was your first time working with the vfx team is that right completely yeah so that that was a huge learning experience and again i think because we were able to stretch it out due to covid yeah at, at their request uh we were able to um, i would say steve and also the dome mm -hmm. were very big um and tricky that was tricky, tricky like learning you know experiences because we are a budget film yeah. and so we don't have like a, a huge vfx mm -hmm. budget and those are these are things that we're creating out of nothing i mean especially the dome when she's touching it it's like how do you uh have audiences believe yeah you know that this is how they're living and what they're living under um, and also how you know we're trying to convey a something that could sort be grown. Of a, a, a man-made structure that is effectively grown out of the ground and, mm -hmm. and so what figuring out that transition between you know organic material and, yeah. and inorganic material was a real concept conceptual challenge mm -hmm. uh, they and, were the vfx team were so patient and like really wanted to get it right as yeah. well yeah. um which was obviously wonderful to have uh, them be so invested in getting it right. No, yeah. yeah, I mean, just from the little I know about VFX, it's so fascinating. Yeah, you all about it. So, what what bits were puppet versus um, special effects so in terms of Steve the Roughly, uh, the close-ups were mostly puppet, and the more elaborate movements mm -hmm. were VFX. So, like when he pops out of his box and he's running towards her, that's VFX. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when when you were filming that scene, did did you um, have the puppet do the some kind of action, or was it just kind of empty? So we we so we we shot two different shots for that. So we um we shot the box on wheels, basically moving at the speed that he would be moving, mm -hmm. uh, and that's really just as a lighting reference mm -hmm. for the VFX art, VFX artist later on. And then we shot a, a clean plate, so we just this, redid the shot without anyone in it, just mm. move, you know, just moving through this through space. Uh, and that's the plate that the VFX artist will then will and animate onto. Right. Uh, and I mean, it, it, there's probably more more detail that we can mm. go into here, but if you, if folks are interested in learning more, I, I did an article for talkhouse.com where mm. called Designing Steve, where I gave a, more detailed overview of the whole creative process yeah. and ifc our um us distributor they have a little steve feature at on their instagram um I where you can kind of that. see like the puppet versus what it looks like That's on like screen how we and, painted out yeah. the, the puppeteers there's Amazing. a lot of little green men around steve <laughs> on set so you so you had these these discussions presumably um before you started production with the VFX team and they kind of told you, okay, we need to get these certain shots in it in order to be able yeah, to do it. We had a VFX supervisor on set who was oh. also there to yeah. kind of. Well, yeah, sorry, on, on, on set, although to your question, we had to, we had storyboarded very, very specifically all this, the, the Steve scenes mm -hmm. um, well beforehand because mm -hmm. Uh, there was a cost implication to each. You know, anytime we were using VFX, yeah. uh, there's a, there's a price tag to that, and and um, you know we so we had to be very very deliberate about where we where we used it. Yeah. But then also on set we had someone who was like, oh, this I think will have to be VFX. <laughs> will have to. Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean, you yeah you of course then need someone on set uh, who can help you actually then execute. 
Mm-hmm. And there were definitely, Julie's completely right. There were there were a number of times where assumptions that we had made turned out to not be the case. <laughs> uh, and and so I think our, we may have had to dip into the, yeah. <laughs> the reserves a little bit, the contingency yeah. a little bit, because uh, our VFX budget did, did go up. It was bound to. <laughs> it was bound to. This is it. It's constantly problem solving, isn't it? And just using, yeah. using your yeah. head and figuring out how to make it work. Within, yeah within what you got i'm sorry I, actually another example of that is you know when we when she shoots the pig when Remy shoots the pig uh on the day the pig wrangler is like oh we can't we can't bring a pig in to this greenhouse it'll it'll go nuts and <laughs> and and this is like minutes before we were supposed to shoot this scene but so we actually shot the pig outside and then vfxed him in. <laughs> into the greenhouse and if you look closely like you can I mean no one's ever going to look at a pig and be like well that's clearly that was wasn't there um <laughs> but he's a little too clean just, we, we tried to we, yeah. all we could really do though is like smudge him up we, we didn't have the budget to actually yeah. put dirt via on vfx over the pig so we we did some color correcting on his back he's like a little bit browner <laughs> it'll work it'll work <laughs> amazing um sounds like a, a brilliant adventure really to kind of south africa and back again yeah no, it definitely was. it was very special and yeah i know we're we're proud of it but also very excited to now be you know mm. we'll steam ahead on what's can i ask what's it. what's next another kind of sci-fi no so well we'll see uh we uh these are still early days but what i'm writing right now is is uh i'm writing a script about the man who killed rasputin his name was prince felix yusupov and he was a very interesting character in in his own right uh and so this is it's a kind of tragic comedy i Mm. suppose set uh you know in the blood red twilight of the uh russian empire Amazing. Well, we look forward to seeing that. Is that is that? I guess are you are you kind of packaging that at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. We're in that very yeah, yeah early stages. He, you know, still finishing the just script. Finishing the script, but I just started putting together the pitch deck, um, which is very fun because it's all around this time period of um, like the avant-garde Russian art. So Kandinsky, and you can really look in, at his paintings um, and see you know, as you lead up to like yeah. this point, um, how they change and they just almost predict, you know, a revolution happening. Please keep us updated. Come back when um, that one's out and ready well, to talk thank about. You. Oh, we would love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing with me your journey today. It's been really brilliant to hear. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. And yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Bad Mad podcast. Please subscribe to check out the next episode or leave a review if you liked it. You can find us on Instagram at goodbadmad or at goodbadmad.com for additional resources and information. See you next time.